Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Elon MBA show. I'm Jack Perhensky joining you as I do every week. And today is April 4th, 2022. The national championship game is set. Um, we have North Carolina and Kansas playing tonight. Uh, you know, the stretch run of the NBA regular season, it's coming down uh, next Sunday. Uh, the final games will be played to determine who plays who in the play-in and also will determine the top six seeds in their order. And uh, we also have, you know, just some fun stories. We got some Milwaukee talk. We got some Rookie of the Year talk. We got some Toronto talk. We got some Dallas Mavs talk. Um, just a lot of good things today. And, uh, you know, uh, the we can finally have the official funeral for the Lakers, it looks like. Uh, never say never, but it's looking like they're pretty dead right now. So I'm just going to start off a little Elite Eight recap. Uh, you know, Duke was kind of boring. Uh, after we had such a great tournament, the Sweet 16 had a bunch of great games. You know, Duke beats Arkansas pretty handedly. UNC beats the just the breaks off of St. Peter's, and their Cinderella run comes to an end, unfortunately. And, you know, Villanova, they have some trouble against Houston. They're never really uh, in trouble, but then you kind of look to the next round when Justin Moore tears his Achilles as their leading scorer, and you say... I just don't think they have the size or length to do anything against them. And lo and behold, they didn't. And Kansas just dominated Miami from start to finish. And uh, they just, you know, Miami had a point at the, or excuse me, a lead at the end of the first half. And it just, it didn't really look like um, they were, they, they just couldn't match up. Sam Wardenberg couldn't match up with David McCormick. But uh, so the national championship game is set. Uh, Kansas. They hand, they take care of business with Villanova. You know, they get it down to six. Uh, Villanova does, but Christian Braun Brown, um, trying to say that right, just killed them from three. And Okchai Akbaji hit something insane. I think he was six for seven on his threes. Uh, and this Kansas team is really scary. Um, and I, I personally do think they will probably win tonight. But uh, you know. UNC is not going to be an easy matchup. And we had one of the all-time games and UNC Duke. Uh, there was never hype like this around a game. And it was just such a surreal experience. We, I mean, I think, you know, coming as not a Duke fan, but not a Carolina fan either, but uh, the general majority of the population seemed to be rooting for Carolina because we wanted one thing. We didn't want Coach K to go out on top. I mean, it was like we had been watching someone get away with murder for the last 41 years. And we just, you kept saying, someone's going to beat them. Someone's going to beat them. And no one was stepping in. You know, Michigan State keeps it close. Texas Tech keeps it close. Arkansas, not even a chance. And you say to yourself, is this really how it's Coach K is going to win? And we're going to be 20 years down the road and people are going to still be talking about it during some regular season game, and Jay bill is going to say, man, remember how Duke got an early 20-point lead against Carolina in the Final Four that in that 2022 season? That didn't happen. And thank the stars it didn't. Um, you know, it really, it, it was Star Wars. We, you know, the Rebels blow up the second Death Star, and everyone's celebrating all around the galaxy because we don't have to live in fear anymore. We don't have to worry about Coach K. And I think... Everyone is just overjoyous to see that Duke is done. Um, 
Coach K has done, you know, maybe maybe we come to like Duke in this new iteration that John Shire creates. So who who knows? Uh, I'd I, that would be cool if we did, but um, yeah, I it just we would have never heard the end of it. And um, I like that Caleb Love shot was ridiculous. Manic was awesome. Um, Roach kind of had his first bad game of the tournament. R.J. Davis, you know, it would get down to Duke would get up six in the first half, and then R.J. Davis would kind of close the gap a little bit uh, you know he uh he just like create some separation get his pull up uh, get to his spot and uh, bring it to four bring it to two and you know without rj's first half performance they don't win that game and without the performances from guys like Caleb love or brady manic and then they don't win that game and even down the stretch i mean it felt like every time the other team got a two-point lead it felt like every time you were like oh my gosh we won or we won as a Duke or Carolina fan. And it just came down to the last shot and, you know, missed free throws, killed Duke down the stretch, you know, Keels makes that second one foul Carolina They're They only make two free throws and maybe you have a shot to win it at the end there. I mean, you know, Keels had a open shot, but he, he missed it. Uh, and it would have brought the blue devils within one, but you know, it was hard to, he was thinking about trying to get fouled, but you know, maybe, I mean, but I think, this was one of the best Final Four games ever. It was one of the most anticipated Final Four games ever. Uh, the chances of it statistically happening where Carolina and Duke meet in the tournament in the Final Four where Duke is a two seed and Carolina is an eight seed, uh, it's just astronomical. And I, I can't sing high praises enough to Hubert Davis. You know, At the beginning of the season, everyone remembers that uh, you know they lose to Purdue, they lose to Tennessee, and you're like, man, I... I don't know, man, is Hubert, is he legit? And, you know, he's proved it. He's got this solid group of guys with black and love and, and RJ and Leaky and, uh, you know, Baycott. And, and even there was even moments where Baycott, uh, you know, he, he twists his ankle and you're like, oh man, they're not going to have anyone to match up with Mark Williams. And he's walking off the floor and you see his ankle twist so hard. And you're like, that thing's probably the size of a watermelon right now. And he just, he gets back up. He gets back in the game. He's, you know, they're one true big or else he would have had to throw a manic at small ball five. But this was really just such an outstanding game um, from both teams. And I can't give enough credit. Uh, this is, this is what March Madness is all about. This is what the tournament's all about. And uh, yeah, I mean, just I'm excited for tonight. Uh, I will be in Chapel Hill and, you know, I'm not going to be able to talk about it until next week. But uh, I think I think we're in for a great game tonight as long as Armando is to an extent somewhat healthy. So uh, moving on from college basketball, uh, you know, we are in the stretch run in the NBA season. And one of the things that does happen is uh, we have rookie of the year award and uh, so I think most people would agree it's uh, pretty much down to these three guys now. Uh, it's Evan Mobley, Cade Cunningham, and Scotty Barnes. So, you know, guys like Franz Wagner, uh, Jalen Green, and Josh Giddy, they're all incredibly impactful but uh, and great players in their own right. But they just didn't quite make the cut. Uh, you know, the ultimate question with this award this year is does winning ultimately matter as they all have very similar uh, stats, but, and you say to yourself, you know, Cade has been putting up better efficiency numbers and uh, 
and just better numbers overall, but he's doing it on a rat team. And then guys like Barnes and Mobley, uh, you're, they're doing it on teams that they're going to make the playoffs in Toronto for sure. And then Cleveland is uh, at the seven spot right now. And, you know, there's there's a lot of jockeying that's going to happen over the next couple of days, but they're they're pretty much a lock to make the play in at this point. So you you I think there's part of you that wants to incorporate that. And, you know, Cade has at the beginning of the season, you know, he's hurt, but he comes back and it's not great, but it gets better as we go on. And now it looks just so fluid. Uh, you know, he's he is the primary option in Detroit. Uh, whereas guys like Evan Mobley or Scotty Barnes are the third options. And, you know, he's able to operate in the half court, get quality looks for himself and others. And he's shown like a lot of flashes throughout the season, uh, just as far as his ball handling, his creation, uh, just his, his passing ability, just his ability to slow down the game. I mean, I think uh, a comparison that was made to him coming into the league was he's a supersized Luka Doncic. And you, not in the way that he can shoot it or, you know, he obviously has some deficiencies of, of skill sets and nobody is as good as Luca. Uh, there are very few players who are. And, um, but he just has this great innate feel to the game. And um, he, he's willed Detroit to some wins. And um, now that the roster is finally coming into its own with Sadiq and uh, Isaiah Stewart uh, and just uh, Killian Hayes has even been good as well for uh, the past couple of weeks. So, you know, in the past couple of months, his name has trended upwards tremendously. And, uh, you know, he's his averages 17.3 points per game, five and a half rebounds and five and a half assists. So very solid, well-rounded. Uh, then we move on to guys like Evan Mobley. Uh, so he's shooting 53% from the field right now, uh, which is gr- incredible on 14.9 points per game, 8.3 rebounds and two and a half assists. And, um, you know, he's, he's been a guy who's a fringe all-defensive candidate. Uh, it feels like he has just really good instincts as a rim protector. He just – you can see it in him. Like we saw this just in the first two weeks of the season. He just knows what he's supposed to be doing at all times. And, um, you know, he's he's a very good interior passer. Uh, he's willing to attack others uh, as opposed to what you may believe from the thinner frame that he – has but um you know he he just he is the reason this cleveland team has been so good and the reason that they haven't bottomed out with the losses of colin sexton or when jared allen was hurt and you know obviously garland's a big part of that too but he is just he is a guy that you look at and you're like this guy is not gonna miss an all-star game for the next 15 years after this year because he just has so much talent his defensive presence is unmatched. I mean, he's he's going to be on first team all defenses come a couple years, and it's going to be that way for probably seven or straight eight years that he's going to make a first or second all defensive team. And, I mean, there's a little fun stat. He's averaged two and a half assists and one and a half blocks as a rookie. And only Duncan, Weber, Gasol, Bill Walton, Vince Carter, and Sam Bowie have done that. And he, that's the only, those are the only other names that have done that. And um, just, you know, he, this Cleveland team, you know, they got out of the gates pretty hot and, uh, you know, they've obviously regressed, but a lot of that is from injury and just guys hitting a rookie wall. But uh, this Evan Mobley is, if, if we do it, if we did a redraft, Evan Mobley 100% is going number one. 
So then we have Scotty Barnes. So we come into the season. Uh, Toronto obviously drafts Scotty Barnes with the fourth pick. And Jalen Suggs, after just an incredible March Madness run, obviously hits the half-court shot against UCLA, has some phenomenal passes, to just beautiful displays of athleticism. And the rumors of Kyle Lowry leaving Toronto had been on the table for months, and it finally happened over the summer. And you say to yourself, why on earth are you drafting another forward when you already have guys like Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Chris Boucher, uh, and and you say to yourself, why, why are you drafting this? Why, why are you not going for the guy who could be the perfect Kyle Lowry replacement in Jalen Suggs? And I mean, I feel like we've just learned with Masai over the years that we just can't question him because he is just one of the best GMs in the league and his decision-making and he just sees the game and the prospects in a completely different way than everyone else does. And you, that Toronto scouting department has done one of the best jobs in league history getting undrafted Fred Van Vliet. Pascal goes in the late first round. Uh I mean, just so many guys just you, you just bring in. And, I mean, it's it's been awesome to watch. But, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, Scotty, you know, he's, he's putting up 15.4 points per game, 7.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists. And, um, you know, he's been this uh, gargantuan, supersized um, impact defender since he was FSU. He was swallowing guys a lot. Like, there was a game where he was just locking up Trey Murphy out of UVA, who obviously plays for the Pelicans now. And you're like, you shouldn't be able to do that. Trey's a 6'9 guy who can space you out. But Scotty just has this great feel on defense. And he he just is able to do it at so many different levels. And, you know, he's been doing the same uh, at the NBA level. You know, some of his first games uh, when he was in the league, he was ripping the ball out of Durant's hands and leading the break and pushing it. And most players just, <laughs> most players don't tend to turn KD over like Scotty Barnes has uh, to KD and many other players. I, and he even got Durant's praise from it all. And I, that's something that not a lot of people get is Kevin Durant's praise. Usually it's a lot of criticism or uh, burner comments on Twitter. But uh, so Scotty just, I mean, he's taken this Toronto team and he's put them in the sixth spot and they are a lock for that essentially at this point. Maybe they can get up to five. Um, but I, uh, it's it's been incredible to watch him and just the way he's developed you know obviously there's still some flaws the jumper does need to improve to some extent and um it will but he he makes really good decisions all the time and you know even if if he like calls for a seal and it doesn't work out then he's going to cut to the corner um just yeah so with that being said i do think that the rookie of the year is going to be awarded to Scotty Barnes just because of everything he's been, you know, he's shown flashes of just this being this franchise guy. And, you know, he, he helped make this Toronto team who was a lottery team last year had the fourth pick for God's sake. And, you know, part of the, they were COVID tanking, get Kyle Lowry out of there, whatever. But yeah, this is, this is incredible. The turnaround that we've seen and Scotty Barnes has been a huge part of that. And he's on a winning team. Cade's stats may be better, but I do think that winning should matter for this award. And this actually brings us to our next conversation about Toronto. So the Toronto Raptors, right now, they are the sixth seed, and they could possibly jump up to the five seed, which as of now would be a preferable matchup. 
just from what we've seen in recent weeks to play the Sixers as opposed to the Bucks, And they just have been such a fun story this year. Um, They have this insane defensive versatility and switchability, and that's just what makes them so dangerous. Um, Right now they have an 110.4 defensive rating, one of the best in the league. And so they, they just, their defense, their willingness to buy in to Nick Nurse's system where he really only plays about seven guys. And at times it feels like he really only plays his starters and even the numbers will back that up sometimes. So one of the things that the Toronto defense has done really well this year is uh, they, they run this Chicago action, which is where phenomenal. Uh, so it's really impressive to be able to switch all three guys. So it's basically... You have a handoff with a screen right in the middle of it, and then you have a corner action, uh, and the handoffs are really tough to deal with for defenses, but they're obviously an easy way to create openings, and you switch every single action of the handoff. So you use the screen, the screen screen before the screen, the screen in the corner when it comes back, and it essentially negates every single advantage you are trying to pull from an action, and being able to negate this advantage from the actions while teams can reset it to keep it moving or you you take time off the clock so if you don't give any discernible advantage when you're switching it means that you really are just taking time off of the clock Uh, so you have nothing to hunt afterwards so you're just moving them farther and farther down the shot clock and it's just tremendous how the raptors can do this so some of their principles on defense they they just help and they over help and they're going to crowd a big space you know scotty will often create a vertical press depending on where he presses from and you can send the ball up the court you can send it to the sideline because he can close out with his long arms and his length and athleticism and he can recover from there or like i said he can even jump in the passing lane and get a steal so it's a huge benefit to have him when he's on and when scotty is precise because it it makes the raptors just that much versatile and the same way that they can work with og and pascal and even like a Chua or Boucher or Van, Van Vliet. Uh, so th- that it, it's just, that's what makes them so like versatile is being able to have guys like Scotty Barnes as like this like roamer, this free safety type of player, kind of like how uh, Robert Williams has been used with Al Horford this season or Jaron Jackson has been used with Steven Adams or how Giannis has been used with Brooke and, you know, Scotty, he's been doing it against guys like Jokic and Embiid and he's been doing it against the best, of the best, and it's been working. And um, that's, that's one of the reasons Toronto has been so successful. Another reason that uh, we've seen so much success this season is that Nick nurse has been playing his guys just <laughs> into the ground. Uh, it's, it's essentially a five man rotation at this point, And I'm sure it will be once we get to the playoffs, um, and you get various precious Achua and Chris Boucher moment or minutes thrown in there sometimes. So right now, the minute per game total between the for the top seven guys. So Scotty Barnes, we have thirty five point five minutes per game with two thousand four hundred fifty one total minutes played. Pascal Siakam, thirty seven point eight minutes per game, two thousand four hundred eighteen total minutes played. Fred Van Vliet. We have 37.9 minutes per game with 2,385 total minutes played. Gary Trent Jr., 34.8 minutes per game with 2,262 total minutes played. 
OG Ananobi at 36.2 minutes per game with 1,703 total minutes played. Presses Sachua at 23.6 minutes per game at 1,602 total minutes played this season. And Chris Boucher is at 20.9 minutes per game. And then it's a huge drop off after that. And he plays, he's played 1,570 total minutes uh, this season. So, and the drop off, it's uh, 675 total minutes played, uh, which is the difference between 1,570, which is Boucher, and 895 minutes, which is just absolutely bonkers. So, I mean, besides the top seven, literally no one is getting run unless it's in garbage time, and or there's or they if they encountered like a slew of COVID uh, cases or injuries. Uh, so besides like the top seven, um, it's it's just ridiculous to me. And it, it, the the other craziest part about this is Toronto just really hasn't encountered any injuries, which you think with the amount of load that these guys have on them. Granted, most of them are pretty young. Uh, they, they'd be hurt, but man, they're not. And, um, you know, you just, we had to trust in Nick Nurse and Masai Ujiri. And I think that was one of our flaws at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, this team, uh, once it comes to it, um, you, you know, Pascal finally found his groove again. And is this is perfect timing because we're right. The playoffs are about to start again. And this team could just be dangerous in the first round. You know, if they, they could end up upsetting Boston with no Robert Williams or even Philadelphia with the length and size they possess to contain Embiid and the, the defensive ability uh, to contain guys like James Harden. And when you don't have to worry about uh, guys like Thibault beating you off the dribble or Danny Green making a bunch of threes or, uh, you know, George's Niang, I guess, is your most uh, capable outside shoot. I mean, Maxi, obviously, but... Uh, they just have this they they are going to be a dangerous out and if they can get up to that five seed they can even um they could even give uh chicago a, a test if not all their guys are back um so getting to milwaukee um right now they really may be the only true contender in the east um you know brooklyn has obviously they have to make it out of the plan first which they you know, they probably will, or maybe they won't. Maybe Atlanta beats them, but in all likelihood, they do. And they're probably the second best team right now. You know, Boston was for a while, it felt like uh, maybe even the first best team with the way they've been playing. But now that Robert Williams has this injury, um, it just, I, they just aren't the same team. And, you know, Philly has his issues after the first three Harden games. He reverted back to his old habits of not closing out on defense, of settling for. Uh, the you know the step back three that he once was elite at hitting, but now is just kind of subpar at it. And um, they obviously have their issues with depth as well. And you know Miami looks great, but I, I want to see Jimmy Butler do it in the real playoffs uh, after getting absolutely embarrassed by the Bucks last year. Uh, and you know the the last time he, I mean I I I haven't watched a lot of Heat this season. I'm not gonna lie, but. I feel like every time I watch, I feel like Butler's coming up short on his jumpers. And, you know, he obviously one of his great abilities is to drive. But when you're dealing with a Giannis and Brooke Lopez drop coverage and the free safety ability, um, it's so hard to be able to drive and get get to the line against these guys. And maybe you did it a couple of years ago in the bubble, but Giannis is not the same player that he was. He has just become this. He is the best player in basketball right now. Uh, and it's close with Durant, but he is the best player. And, you know, you, you just got to give Milwaukee credit after being 
kind of injury ridden all season. Uh, they they come back uh, with their guys healthy and the playoffs start in two weeks and they're right there with everyone. So right now it's a log jam at the top of the East. The Heat are 51 and 28. The Celtics are 59 and 30. The Bucks are 48 and 30. And the Sixers are at 48 and 30. Bucks hold the head to head against the Sixers. And I think something that I've noticed um, watching these Bucks games over the past couple weeks is just that Milwaukee and Giannis, they just aren't afraid of anyone. And we had last week, you know, they lost, tough loss to the Mavericks yesterday. Chris Middleton gets ejected. Um, excuse me. He just had a bad, he just had a bad game. That The ejection was on Thursday night uh, against Brooklyn. And um, they lost to the Mavs. Mavs have been surging. Not a bad loss, but you know, Giannis makes this MVP statement after we kind of thought it was either this it's going to be Jokic or it's going to be Embiid. And if Giannis goes for his third MVP in the span of the past four seasons, that's going to be incre- incredible stuff. Um, so we had Bucks Nets on Thursday night and Giannis goes toe to toe with KD. He's not afraid of him. And, you know, they're probably not going to get to the one seed now, but you can just see it that they just they don't really care who they have to play. They'd be fine with playing Brooklyn in the first round. And I think they may be the one team in the East, in all honesty, that wouldn't be afraid of playing them. And I do think that they are, and I do think they should be the prohibitive favorite in the East, no matter what seeding says, no matter what the PER says, no matter what any advanced analytics or stats, I look at the Bucks and I look at the landscape of the Eastern Conference and I say to myself, they have a top to arguably top one player and on Denikumpo. And um, I just don't see who is going to be able to stop him. Maybe Durant is the only option. Um, and Boston may have had a chance if if they were fully healthy, but Time Lord wouldn't be coming back until post-second round. So, and he's made this MVP case, which is, you know, he blocks Embiid, uh, comes back, uh, makes uh, a pull-up three in this Brooklyn game. Um you know, the, I mean, you block Joel Embiid one night, you're down 10 with under five minutes left to Brooklyn, who is, you know, they are gunning to get uh, secure into the 7-8 seed for that playing game. And, you know, the Bucks have a timeout with 10 seconds left against Brooklyn. They don't call it. Giannis goes right at Durant, just full chest. Um, and he, he forces OT with free throws, which, you know, uh, is just improves so much and he he wins the game in overtime and no Middleton for the last 10 minutes or so because of a flagrant two ejection and you know they could have put scrubs in and called it a game because maybe Milwaukee doesn't care who or if they get the one seed or if they get the two seed or if they get whatever but Giannis was like no no we're staying in we're winning this game and um you know he wanted the Durant assignment down the stretch and the fact that we're having these guys these two guys, these two freak athletes, one uh, a dominant athlete, one a pure scorer who has uh, one of the best handles ever for as tall as he is. And um, the, I, I really do hope we get this series in some form again because it was phenomenal last year. And with Kyrie's ability to play again, that would be such a fun matchup. And um, yeah, and something that, you know, I think that a lot of people discredit is how Brooke Lopez um was out for a grand majority of this season 
Uh, you know, he has back surgery early in the season, and the Bucks just were not the same team that they had been. And uh, he came back a couple weeks ago, or I think last week actually, and um, Giannis was singing his name to high praises. You know, he 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 tells the media in the press conference, he says, Brooke is a cheat code. You know, he can rebound the ball. He can score the ball for us. He can make threes. His defense is unbelievable. He's just making it tough for anyone who comes in the paint, and I'm so happy that he's back. So the thing that with Milwaukee, which fair enough, I suppose, that was that they're, they weren't able to run drop coverage uh, without Brooke Lopez because Serge Ibaka, they pick him up midway through the season. Just if if you're thinking that Serge Ibaka is going to be that same Serge that we saw in the bubble or in that Toronto series against Golden State a couple years ago, you are very wrong uh, because he is, he is a – He's just not what he once was, uh, and then the depth doesn't particularly go very far as far as a five-man goes after that, and he just changes the team, and he makes them so versatile. It allows Giannis to be his best self on offense and defense, and he can play, like I said earlier with Scotty Barnes, He can play. Giannis can play this free safety role that so many players are playing on some of the best defenses in the league, such as Giannis and Brooke Lopez, such as Jaron Jackson and Steven Adams, such as Time Lord and Al Horford, such as Scotty Barnes and, and uh, you know, Pascal Siakam. So uh, I'm really excited to watch this Milwaukee team. I do think they should be the favorite in the East, um, but we'll see over the next couple of weeks uh, just what their first round draw is, if it is Brooklyn, if it's Atlanta, um, if it's a Toronto um, but e- either way, the, this next stretch, this playoff run is going to be incredible. So uh, on the other, in the other conference, in the Western Conference, um, obviously the story all season long has been Phoenix. They have been dominant. Uh, even you know, the six-week stretch without Chris Paul, uh, a little thumb injury, they still roll. Devin Booker looks amazing. Uh, he's coming into his... Own oh, he he looks like he can flourish uh, as an ability as a one guard and then Chris comes back and they look even better that experience for Booker it helps guys like Bridges get more run it helps guy Aiden has looked great all season even though they never gave him the max and he still cares so much which is just awesome but um as far as teams that can match up with them in the playoffs um you know obviously maybe people would look at the scene and say well dallas is in the five spot right now um or excuse me the four spot why would teams like the warriors who have steph curry or why would teams like the grizzlies who have john morant who have a really solid roster around these guys why are they not be able to match up with them well first Steph is still out right now, and I the team has not had time to mesh at all. I hope it's like riding a bike for them when he comes back, but they haven't. The Grizzlies, I want to believe in them. They are a young team. They obviously got a taste of the playoffs last year in that Utah series when they won one game at at home in in FedEx Forum. But um, I don't know. I just I don't know if they're ready. And whatever happens for the Grizzlies this season was a success. It's not a detriment towards them. It's just that they're a young team and they're they when when a young team has a lot of success, they need to overcome the the adversity. You know, Giannis, uh obviously the Bucks get the one seed uh back in nineteen and uh they you know they lose to Toronto. They they blow the two O lead to Toronto. And um 
yeah, so the Mavericks are, what I'm saying is that Golden State has injuries. Their chemistry isn't phenomenal yet. Um, Memphis is young and they could very well make a run. But as far as other teams go that could make a run and match up with Phoenix uh, is Dallas. So Luka has just been on an absolute tear since uh, the beginning of January or so. Uh, and something great, you know, defense has finally become legitimate under Jason Kidd, you know, there were some questions coming into this season after the stuff Mirren Fader wrote in her Giannis book. You say, God, is Jason Kidd actually like really that good of a guy? And you say, you got to have someone who's going to be able to deal with the Lucas stuff because he's, he's going to be a very ball dominant player. And the way Kidd plays is not a very ball dominant style, the way that he coaches. So, um, but the, by God, he's got everyone on that Dallas team to buy in on defense, and it's looked awesome. And, uh, I mean, they look great without Przingis. Uh, they don't really have any liabilities on defense uh, except for the minutes that Bertans plays. And even then, I mean, obviously it's going to be different once you start hunting guys in the playoffs. But even then, um, they can hide him, which is, you know, for being the weak link. And they had a great win against Milwaukee uh, on Sunday. And they are right there uh, and can take that three spot, that three seed from the Warriors, uh, which is probably what you want to do right now uh, because um, they sit right now. They sit at 49. The Warriors sit at 49 and 30. Uh, excuse me. The Mavericks sit at 49 and 30 and the Warriors are at 49 and 29. And you would say to yourself, as of now, the Jazz have been absolute train wreck lately and there's so much there's a lot of smoke and fire around the mitchell gobert situation and i don't we don't need to get into that they're just not a competent team anymore and it's so ugly to watch but um you you say to yourself we'd much rather play this struggling jazz team than this uh nuggets team that still has a possibility pretty slim though of getting jamal murray and michael porter jr back in the first round um, as opposed to this, uh, as opposed to the Nuggets, you know, you just don't want to, you don't want to go up against Jokic, who's going to be a top three MVP candidate, uh, coming down the stretch. But, you know, this, you know, they, it's just, I don't know. There's a lot going on, uh, in Dallas. I mean, Luca just has been just on this absolute tear. And every time you're like, well, can you do it in the playoffs? I mean, you go back to your, to these past two playoffs that Luca has been in he's playing like freaking Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were the guys he had defending him like that makes life so hard for and he nearly won both series <laughs> like they were in a game seven and it came down to Kawhi Leonard one of the arguably one of the greatest defenders of all time beating Luca into the ground and you say to yourself look what Luca is doing when he is only 23 years old you finally have a system that you think works around him with guys like Dinwiddie Dodell uh Tim Hardaway uh just all all these guys it, Dwight Powell has been awesome as a rim runner and you say to yourself like what is this kid gonna be when he's in his prime when he gets to 27 28 29 and um I, I'm really excited to watch this Dallas team in the playoffs and if if they get uh if they end up making the conference finals, which is likely how they would end up uh, playing this this uh, this Phoenix team, which I think should be a lock, barring an injury for the conference finals, if they end up making it, they are a team that I could see them 
I could see them matching up with them and giving Phoenix a test and even beating them. So Boston, I've talked about this a little bit. Um, you know, they, so Robert Williams, uh, you know, report from Woj after undergoing surgery for a torn meniscus in his left knee this morning, Robert Williams is expected to return within four to six weeks, which is the timetable that could land him back in the lineup as soon as the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. And Boston is in a spot right now where they would have to play Toronto in the first round as the three seed. Um, excuse me. They are the two seed as of now. And they would have to be playing whoever makes the play-in, which could be Brooklyn, it could be Atlanta, it could be Charlotte, it could be um, Cleveland, it could be a plethora of teams. And um, you know they they have a chance against one. They could they could win against them. Uh, they can drop to three too. Um, they can even drop to four. Uh, but without Robert Williams, this team is not the same team it was. You know they had the number one defense since the beginning of January for the past three straight months, which is, which is ridiculous after they started as one of the worst defensive teams in basketball. Um, and we're that way until, <laughs> until like, de- until the end of December and Marcus smart becomes this best version of himself. This is some of the best basketball he's probably ever played Brown and Tatum. You know, they obviously take a leap every single season. Derek white has been phenomenal, but they just are not the same. T- and even Al Horford, but they're not the same team when you take away that ability for Robert Williams to be what he is. And you have to, you just, he's not this, it's not the same team. And they don't match up well with anyone now because you're going to be having to run Tatum at the four when he's guarding people. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of sad because Boston, the window, you keep thinking it's open. They've obviously made three Eastern Conference finals in the past seven years. Is that what it is? Something like that. Um, or six years. And it just seemed like they finally had this team that worked and meshed and clicked. And it wasn't that, Oh, Kyrie's injured or, Oh, Hayward's injured or, Oh, like what's Isaiah Thomas going to do in the playoff? Like it, it, it was a real team. And now that and it's a meniscus injury and meniscus is, they're not, you don't play around with that stuff. And, um, it's sad, but, you know, I, I'm not sure that maybe Robert Williams comes back. Uh, he's going to be a little hobbled just because it's they're doing the faster surgery uh, than it would take to normally repair meniscus. But um, I do hope Boston has success, and I do hope, if not this year, that Robert Williams comes back next year and this team, they can keep this core together. Um, so so the uh, we can finally do it. We can finally say it. It's time for the official Lakers funeral. It's time to shut it down. Um, it's time. Uh, so this team was never going to work. Uh, even I talked myself into it working. I talked myself into the limited shooting capabilities of Russell Westbrook, or the just zero shooting capabilities, the LeBron uh, streaky shooting from beyond the arc, Anthony Davis's health concerns, which are just, elevated every year that his career progresses um and then the corpse of guys like trevor ariza or carmelo anthony or you know malik monk is probably their arguably their third best player um behind davis and lebron and i just you look at this and you say to yourself you could have had contavious codwell pope kyle kuzma alex caruso and maybe even you could have had Buddy Heald because everyone was so high on Taylor Horton Tucker. And I haven't even seen him play in a game in God knows how long. So 
it, you just you say to yourself, why did you give up? Like I, we understood, Russ can carry these guys for stretches of the season. That's what he did in Washington last year, um, and it just it never worked. And we thought, all right, it's just going to take some time to mesh. You know, LeBron is one of the greatest players ever. It's going to take some time, and we kept waiting and waiting and waiting, and it never happened. And you know, they're actually going. They're not even going to make the plan. <laughs> And I remember last year, LeBron said that he thought that the play-in was one of the stupidest ideas ever. Like, he thought he said that. And I, you haven't heard him say that at all this year, have you? I don't think so. So uh, it would just take a miracle for them to even make the play-in. So the Spurs uh, are at the 10 right now, uh, the last spot in for the play-in. And it, it would take a miracle of the Lakers winning out uh, and the Spurs losing out for them to make the playoffs essentially. So, uh, yeah, I and the, the both of them have kind of hard schedules left when you look at it. Um, so, you know, by the time this is posted, the Lakers may have already been eliminated from playoff contention, and they may they may have given up their top ten pick uh, to the Pelicans, which was was part of the Anthony Davis trade, which just is laughable. And the Pelicans beat you and that's what made you fall out of the top 10 to give up the pick like i i mean i understand you got a championship out of this and i said hey it was worth it a couple weeks ago um but you give you give up to an opponent in the western conference a top 10 pick in a loaded draft class this year and you get and like and it's one of the picks you traded for ad who brought you a championship I don't mean to discredit that in any matter or, or way, but he has had just so many issues being able to stay on the court. I mean, he's barely played any games this year. Um, and I just, I look at this Lakers thing and I say to myself, like, where do you even go from here? I, I honestly, I don't, I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, you can trade Westbrook, but who wants to take on, the $47 million player option, which I can certainly guarantee you he will be taking because I don't uh, like who wants to take that on. Do, what do you want? You want John wall? Maybe you'll get that. You, you want someone who just has maybe just, or like more injury history than Westbrook and shoots it pretty poorly from three. I mean, maybe he makes some better decisions, but I mean, they are, they're both horrible contracts and they both have not been the best players as of late. So, I just don't know where you go from here. Uh, maybe you look. Maybe there's a buy. I mean, maybe there. Maybe there's some guy who wants to take the veteran, veteran mid-level exception and come play for you. Um, but I, I don't see who that is because I think you got all those guys this year, and you gave up lots of core players who helped you win a title. You won a title on defense. You won a title on three-point shooting, which is what KCP, which is what Kuzma and Caruso, and all these guys gave you. And it's it's just sad to watch this iteration of the Lakers and for them to be wasting a year of prime LeBron like this. So, you know, there is about, I think an 11% chance I was looking at ESPN's BPI metrics this morning that the Lakers make the playoffs. Uh, and just based on history, based on being a wizards fan, always on the outside looking out just because you're two and a half back. And that doesn't sound like a lot. It is a lot, and especially when there's only four games left in the season and it finishes in less than a week. 
it's going to be pretty hard to make up that ground. So bet on the Lakers not making the playoffs and maybe even having some interesting off-season conversations. So I just want to close it out uh, just by talking about this new idea that's kind of been floating around for the past couple months, um, which is that what if the one seed in each conference, and this has been talked about by league executives, but and it's they were very receptive to it, and lots of other people were receptive to it around the league. But so, so what if one seed's got to pick their opponent? And I think about that and I say, why are there no rivalries in the NBA at this point in time? I mean, obviously, I mean, tell me, you think of a rivalry in the NBA right now, you say maybe Hawks, Knicks, but, you know, Trey owns the Hawks, excuse me, he owns the Knicks. Um, Maybe Lakers, Celtics, that's really just a Twitter argument, it feels like, based on the 17 championships that they each have and them just bickering at each other. Maybe it's Philly, Brooklyn. Maybe we get that matchup in the playoffs. And maybe because of the animosity between Ben and Philadelphia and Harden and Brooklyn or whatever, maybe that becomes a rivalry. But when you come, when it comes to your mind, you just can't think of any like real rivalries that the league has today. So um, I do think that this, is a, this could be a fun idea. Obviously, there is the downside of, um, you know, maybe – you pick your opponent as a GM, as an executive, as a legal, as a as a front office, as a coach, and you you lose in the first round. As a GM, you are getting fired if you lose in the first round to the seventh seed. Um, you know, and another issue you could run into, you know, it would be complicated how other seeding would fall into it, like how it works as the playoffs advance. Does it change other seeds around? Uh, but you know you say to yourself, you're trying to get the best matchup available. And as of now, there is no incentive for there. I mean, there obviously is an incentive to get the one seed, you know, you you get home court. uh, And if you get the number one overall one seed, you get home court for every single round. Um, So that's, that's the incentive right now, but maybe there's more because these last couple weeks of the season, sometimes it really feels like the top seeds aren't trying uh, because it really just doesn't matter to them whether or not they keep the one seed or not. But what if there was that incentive to pick your own opponent? Uh, and this could create new rivalries, theoretically. Like, imagine, like, we have, you know, the regular season finishes out, the playing season, the playing tournament finishes out, and you say you're watching TNT, and it's the TNT crew. It's Chuck, Shaq, Ernie, and Kenny, and they're interviewing Jimmy Butler and the Heat are the one seed, theoretically. This is in theory. What if they say, we want to pick the Toronto Raptors to play in the first round and they go up against them. You know, Toronto obviously gets some battle scars. Miami prevails. They come out on top. But what if this happens? And then a few years down the road when Scotty Barnes is really coming into his own, he's the clear leader of this team now and Maybe they've accumulated some more draft capital and guys have really flourished. Siakam and Van Vliet take another step in. Nobody. But what if he goes on TNT and the Raptors are the one seed and the Heat are struggling? Maybe Butler retires. You know, Bam. Bam is the star of the team now uh, with Tyler Hero or uh, Gabe Vincent and Duncan Robinson. And, and Scotty Barnes tells the TNT crew, we want to play the Miami Heat 
as our first round opponent. If they've been struggling all year, I mean that that just gives me goosebumps thinking about something like that. And I I understand that if you were to pick your opponent and you lose in the first round of them, <laughs> you're getting fired. And that's probably why this idea isn't going to pass. But just imagine that. Like that could really create new rivalries and it could be good for the league. It could be healthy for the league. And seeing something like that would just be awesome. And I I mean, I don't really care if it happens, but it would be cool to see that happen. And, um, you know, just with the play-in coming up, like that's an idea to keep in mind that um, that executives are, they're saying that this is a this is an idea that we we want to keep thinking about, and um, you know it's not a definite no, it's not a definite yes, but keep that in mind that when you're thinking about how can we make the regular season NBA more fun, that's a way I could see it. So um, yeah, stretch run NBA season is coming up. National championship tonight. We'll talk about Kansas North Carolina next weekend. Uh, once this you know once this is posted, the national championship obvious obviously will have happened. UNC or Kansas will be one of the national champions and we'll see um i'm really excited for this next couple of weeks um the play-in is going to be awesome with brooklyn and atlanta being in it and then uh even like watching players like like jose alvarado having a guy like him who was undrafted out of georgia tech and you give him a chance to make the playoffs possibly i mean it doesn't get much better than this so uh just excited for the stretch run uh Final regular season games end on Sunday, and the play-in will take place the weekend after that. Uh, so yeah, I hope everyone has a great day. Uh, be sure to just you know keep up with the league this uh, this weekend, and because it's going to come down to a lot of jockeying and positioning uh, to try to avoid a team or trying to play a certain team. So yeah, hope everyone has a great weekend, and uh, see you all around.